Welcome to the Future of Australia podcast, where your host, Derek Stewart, interviews the entrepreneurs and founders running the 100 fastest growing new businesses in Australia. On episode 71, I speak with Philippe Hong, founder of Raw Studio, that grew 102% last financial year to do over $1.71 million in annual revenue and become one of the fastest growing new businesses in Australia. We discuss how he grew up loving drawing and technology, combining his passions into web design and eventually user interface and user experience skills long before they were well understood by marketing agencies. How he moved from the big marketing agency world in France to tech startups in Australia and why he knew he always wanted to run his own business. The role of data in effective digital design, the future of AI, why his team structure changed as his business grew, and much more. If you're looking for help creating brands and digital products that convert, check out raw.studio. That's R-A-W dot S-T-U-D-I-O. So I'm here with Philippe Hong, the founder of Raw Studio. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Derek. Thanks for inviting me to, to the podcast. So, yeah, great to have you here. So, can you tell us what were you doing before you started Raw Studio? What did you study? What were some of the early jobs that you did? Well, I actually come from France, so I did all my studies back in France. I was pretty creative in the very early on in sort of my journey as a young kid already. <laughs> I obviously draw a lot but uh, I was doing drawing like sort of like a you know manga and anime kind of thing so I was really bad at this actually <laughs> but I was very very creative so I decided to go into the creative like uh, you know space and that sort of like uh, draw me into sort of web design and, and sort of that thing so I guess like uh, my journey really started like a uh, working in agency world Back in France, I work at, you know, McCann Group agencies. And, but really what really started uh, my journey was when I started doing like a lot of hackathons in the tech, you know, space, really super interested about the tech space and a lot of different apps coming, popping out and the iPhone was coming out and all this stuff. So it was so interesting. And that's where I learned a lot of the things. Yeah. At the start, learning UX tricks how to you know, get user to do certain things and stuff like that. It was really fun at that time. And that's where I re- really started the, my sort of product design journey. Eight years ago, I came to Australia with a luggage, decided to start fresh. I did a lot of projects uh, in France that didn't sort of like uh, succeed. So I decided to like, you know, start fresh. People ask me like, oh, why Australia? <laughs> well, good weather, like uh, English native country and then lots of opportunities. I saw that from far already. So yeah, decided to just come with uh, my luggage in my laptop and uh, find a job. And then I ended up at Ed Husker, my first job coming to Australia. And so if we go back to your teenage years, you mentioned you're very interested in drawing in the creative field. So was that sort of hand drawing or was that computer assisted drawing? And how did that become sort of tech or were they sort of simultaneous interests, the tech and the design and drawing? Yeah, so it was yeah very drawing. I used to paint my 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 bedroom and all the stuff. Like I was really into that. I also really liked um, anything like computer related, and sort of like okay, how do I, you know, merge those two together? And that that sort of drew me to like you know web design and 
Well, obviously the first tools out there was like Photoshop's. So I was really good at doing some Photoshop's, Photoshop work. I started learning just, you know, online, watching videos and like going out there. And my first hackathon, I was really bad. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. Thankfully, there was like one designer there that pretty much guided me to like, you know, create how to create an app. And so sort of, I've learned that, you know, from, from there. That was pretty good. And did you find there was a lot of overlap, like a lot of creative and designers also wanted to go into tech or did the, were the worlds a bit separate? Like the tech people were very tech focused and the, the people, you know, drawing and painting were very sort of in their arts world or did you find there was a quite a good overlap? I think it was pretty new back then. No, nobody really understood. And the way that this designer that I first sort of started working, you know, during this hackathon was using obviously like uh, skills that he learned from like just normal typical agency work but he applied the common sort of uh, ui ux thing that nobody knew back then you know it was really really new and uh, i i've learned a lot as well during those hackathons i guess like agency people really didn't understand like really like mobile and web and usability and all these different things that now we do and it's kind of given back then is like you know Nobody really like understood what was going on in the tech space. <laughs> so what was the focus of the agencies then? Was it just, you know, offline media buying? Was it sort of strategy, creative, you know, copy, content writing? Well, what were they sort of focused on while you were sort of focusing and Pell coming up was sort of focusing on the tech and, and the UI UX? But what were they sort of focusing on? Yeah, it was still very sort of digital, like, you know, website, but more like sort of, you know, banners and like uh, advertising, like, you know, typical like design agency, working with big brands that sort of like, you know, email templates, those, those kind of thing. Very boring, <laughs> but that's sort of like where, where I started. And so some creatives, they love creativity, but then when you try and commercialize it, you know, you, you do something creative and the client says no. And how is that process of trying to sort of commercialize a passion, a hobby, you're doing hackathons, it's fun, it's, you know, it's very interesting, but then, you know, you're at the whims of a client and again, maybe your creativity doesn't fit or isn't allowed. How is that process of sort of fitting into your early agency jobs? Yeah, actually, this is a good question. Like, I guess for me, like I always had something on the side. Like, I think I needed like something more creative and more more than just the typical banner job that I was doing at the agency. It wasn't enough for me. So that's why I, I always had like, even though I, even like a, a freelancing gigs or just something that will be more creative for me. And uh, I was doing hackathons like once a month. So hackathon is pretty, pretty hectic, like going on the weekend, not sleeping and all that stuff. <laughs> so yeah, I was really passionate about the, the space and always wanted to have something that keeps me going. And so how did the hackathons work? Was there prize money? Was it a team or individual? Was it, you know, 12 hours, 24 hours to build a, an app or a wireframe out of product or a or solve some technical problem. Can you talk me through some of those sort of hackathons? Yeah, it's really cool concept. Like you, you come in on the Friday nights, there might be a theme or there might not be. And people come in and pitch ideas. You have one minute, you pitch your idea and then people sort of like come together and say, oh, I like your ideas. Can I join your team to build a prototype during the weekend? Pretty much. So you have two days to to build something and it has to be like a prototype, like sort of like a working prototype. So there will be the developers, designers, and then maybe marketers working together during the weekend to, to design something that's, you know, obviously interesting and might be in the, relevant to the theme or to the market. 
And there might be like really good ideas that come up and sometimes there will be price. I one time like a, won a MacBook one time, so it was pretty good. I, <laughs> but yeah, the concept and I came out, out of all these like hackathons having so many side projects to show. So when I was looking for jobs, it was really easy. I had so many things to, to share and, and all these design sort of ideas. And so that was sort of your portfolio of, of projects and sprints and working under pressure that then, and so how long did you stay in the agency world? Did you, again, rise up, get a few promotions? Did you move around different parts, you know, client-facing, technical, or how long did you sort of spend in that sort of agency environment? Yeah, I spent like probably like a one or two years in the bigger agency, smaller agencies, and I went like sort of more freelance as well. Even freelancing, like I always was working with the new technology. Back then, you know, Sketch was uh, coming up uh, really as a new product out there and agency were like, oh, can you teach us how to use Sketch? And I'll come in and then just transform all, all their project to Sketch. Everyone was using Photoshop still. And then they were like, just like looking behind my screen. I was like, how are I doing my things? I'm like, oh, this is pretty interesting. Like, <laughs> so I was, yeah, very sort of like already looking at new tools and like very uh, in the tech, the space already. So were they supportive of these new ideas in general or was it hard if you said, hey, we should push more towards this, but maybe all their revenue streams are based on a, a more legacy product or tech or offering? Were, were they open-minded in general to these things that you were coming to them with? Well, it really depend on the senior team, like a management in the, because I was just really freelancing. So I was just coming in as a consultant to sort of like, hey, I can help you with that. But they saw the, I guess, the the good and the positive thing about like Sketch and how they could sort of like design better interface. But, you know, agency is a bit slow sometimes. So yeah, it was really interesting. Okay, so, so you're doing these side projects and you sort of give yourself a bit more freedom. You become a, a freelancer, sort of contractor back to the agencies. And then did you start a business in France? Or again, was it very much project-based? And it was only once you came to Australia that you sort of really focused on building a business. Yeah, I actually started a startup in France with one of my friends, a scheduling like a startup, which we did sort of like, uh, yeah, start. And we had like a, you know, a TechCrunch article during then. And it was like, you know, started growing grow and stuff. I didn't see myself in it for the long term. And I was only working on the side for on this, on this project. So I decided to like, okay, let's... Uh, Let's start something uh, fresh in Australia because I was yeah, still in France back then. And was that sort of like a calendar, like what someone might think of like a yeah, calendar today, similar to that yeah. sort of model? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty, it's literally the same thing. That was a very interesting journey as well just to learn and it made a lot of mistakes, obviously, in that space when you know, starting a new new project and a new business. Like uh, now I would definitely like a... Uh, not do the same thing anymore so that's why like you know hence when i started the business in australia it was much more like structured and, and process driven what were some of those mistakes like you said was it a, a lack of, of process uh you know kind of too scattered or disorganized or was it hard to commercialize and get paying sort of customers i think back then like uh we, we would try to bootstrap the, the company so we try to grow just with a uh, no money, pretty much. So we got to a point where, you know, obviously there was some paying customer, but it was growing really slowly. And comparing ourselves to like, you know, other startups that raise money, you can tell the difference. Like uh, they grew like really rapidly and you have financing, you, you can do so much more. 
And obviously for me as well, I was really young as well. So I didn't have that much ex experience in the tech space and to, to grow a product. So made a lot of mistakes as well in terms of like, you know, focusing on the, which feature, designing what feature and stuff like that. So it was a, yeah, a lot of mistakes and we were just sort of playing around as we go. But if I had to do again, I would probably like uh, want to raise money really early and to just try to have a market fit and have a team to to grow the the product. And what were the biggest challenges? Was it you couldn't afford staff or, or you know, the hosting costs or, you know, paid media and marketing in order to expand? What, what were some of those biggest roadblocks you ran into without the capital? It was pretty much like uh, we couldn't hire anyone. So we would hire interns <laughs> and not pay them and stuff like that. And to, I was also like, you know, working on like a, on a, a full-time job and then doing on the side. So in order for me to just, you know, survive. So it was pretty hard. So I would say like, yeah, you need capital early on to do something now and make sure that you have a product market fit. Yeah, so you're in this world of sort of tech and marketing and entrepreneurship and, and startups. What did your friends and family say when you said, hey, I think I want to leave the country and move to the other side of the world? Were they supportive? Did you have friends, family overseas? Did they think you were crazy and why would you leave? Or I think it was quite a selfish, now when I think about it, it was quite a selfish like move. I was just like, I wanted to move. I think it, I was sort of like in my quarter life crisis. I wanted to like do something different and decided to move like on the other side of the, the globe, which is quite fun. My parents were the one who pushed me to to move and it was saying like, hey, Australia, you should try it. We have some family here as well, some cousins. So it was sort of like a bit easier to settle. They were the ones saying, like, oh, you should probably look for, for new things. That sort of like maybe get the tickets. <laughs> so yeah, you've got the the family encouragement, some connections. But what was the biggest sort of shock, or, or what was the most different to your expectations once you actually landed on on the ground in Australia? I guess like I didn't have ex much expectation in terms of like I knew sort of like where I was going. I had a lot of confidence coming in. I was just like I know my skill sets. I know uh, my worth. I had prepared like a, a portfolio, won awards and stuff like that. So I was just like, you know, they're going to see it. But it was more about like finding ways to get a place, finding like roommates and all this stuff like that was really new to me as well. Because it was my first time sort of like also on my own. I decided just rather than just going on my own in my country, I just had to do it in another country. So which is like, you know, obviously you, you learn a lot and you mature really quickly as well. Yeah, and were you, I mean, looking for a job initially to, you know, get the a salary and visa and things like that? Or were you freelancing when you, in your early years in Australia? So, yeah, I, I had a plan. A pretty like, I, I, I landed and I was like, well, I need my visa. I need to find a sponsor. And then after the sponsor, I will, once I get my PR, I will start my own thing. So I didn't know exactly what it was, but I always told myself, I want to start to do something on my own. And that was the plan from from the start. Uh, I've stuck to it. <laughs> and was it easy finding work? With did you own similar, you know, agency type jobs in in Australia? No, I was looking really for for tech startups. And back then, it was pretty easy. The sponsorship was pretty easy to get, especially if you're skilled and like you have experience. So I came here. I was like, yeah, I'm looking for something in the tech space, a UX role. So like Air Tasker was sort of like, yeah, one of the first role I got I couldn't stay that long because some of some visa issue 
because in my sort of working holiday visa, I only can work for like six months for one business unless they like sort of sponsor me on time, which they didn't. So like I decided to move and find something else and that could sponsor me like right away. So I moved to like a, another startup called KeyPay, who recently got acquired by Employment Hero. So yeah, that's sort of where I, I sort of stayed for like uh, two, three years, I think. And, and so you've worked in big agencies, you've worked on your own, you've worked, had your own startup, and you've worked in more sort of, I guess, later stage startups, you'd call it, right? Slightly more established, like Airtasker, they're not, you know, tiny. What would you learn from those startups who are a bit better capitalized, a bit better funded that you, know, you hadn't experienced previously? Oh, actually, when when I joined Airtasker, they were like really small. They were probably like 16, 20 people max. So learning sort of like also like the, the startup culture and like all the things that they were doing, which I learned quite, quite a lot, lot of things as well. And then I, I moved to like a, another startup that was sort of like a remote first. So that was also very new to me. And I was like, okay, now I'm just working from, <laughs> from my bedroom. But I was already pretty used to that already. So yeah, it's just a lot of like uh, learnings. Um, I never sort of like uh, worked in the, I think the agency in France were the biggest entity that I worked with. And in Australia, it was just like a lot of startups and, and tech startups. And so was it after the second startup that you decided to branch out on your own or, or was there a period of time where you worked in other roles between that and starting Raw Studio? No, no, that was it. That was uh, just uh, my last role. And then I decided to start Raw Studio. I gave them like a, a big notice, like three months notice. I was like, I'm going to start, but I will do everything needed to pass on like, to someone. So you've made the decision a long time ago, but again, had to get various things in line, like your visa and, and the right country. But what was it like the first 12 months, the, the good and the bad, once you actually you know left and finished your notice and, and started? What were those first 12 months, the highs and lows like? Well, I was actually, I didn't know what I was uh, going to do. I just said, oh, maybe I just put everything that I know into one thing. Maybe I should start my agency. So I just decided to create a website, Raw Studio, and then like put everything that I know, um, you know, UX branding, all this stuff. And I had like a, obviously a few clients that I was working with already, freelancing. So I just kept working with them and just keep growing sort of like that clientele. But I only had like, you know, a desk. Uh, I remember a desk at Tankstream Lab and that was it. Like <laughs> It was me and my laptop. And then... The first 12 months, one of my mates uh, actually decided to join me in, in the journey and decided to grow this business. Uh, and it was just three months before COVID. What do I expect? Like I start my business and then this new pandemic thing happening. So I don't even know, like, uh, obviously, uh, you know, starting a business uh, and then now the, the pandemic. So like what to do? Nobody knew what to do. So we just keep going and we actually like, yeah, continue to grow even during COVID, so it was pretty good. And was the goal to just be a, a boutique agency, or did you want to be a, a large scale sort of specialist agency, or was the goal to eventually spin out your own proprietary technology, or or you hadn't thought sort of multiple years ahead, you were just looking to do something of your own? I think initially it was really to be the leader in in Australia in sort of like the UX. The way we approach design was sort of very tech focused. So we had really like a 
a very different approach to the typical design agency that used to run things. Because we had a tech background, we would sort of like be very result driven and sort of like, hey, this is like, you know, you increase conversion or like doing research that to validate your product. And because of our experience in the tech space, we can talk to like, you know, tech founders really easily and create product for them. So that's where our angle was. And that's why we, we kept growing uh, since even the pandemic uh, was there. And were a lot of your clients tech startups and apps and online sort of um, software, or did you work with some big corporates that have their own apps or spin-off sort of brands and you know digital products? Yeah, at first it was a lot of startups and maybe scale-ups. So yeah, we would work with like, you know, very small, small startups or even like some, sometimes just founders wanting to to create something. It's only really like recently that we start working with more like sort of corporate clients where we would work on like a very specific product and help them sort of like innovate. So yeah, very early on, we was more, more startup focus. Yeah. And you mentioned you're sort of growing during COVID and, and you grew 102% last financial year, doing more than 1.71 million annual revenue, becoming one of the, the fastest growing new businesses in Australia. So, so was there something different that you did that helped sort of facilitate that growth and growing so quickly? Yeah. So I think one that it was the different approach that we have, uh, we had, and we still have, right? Like it's a uh, sort of more result driven and like tech focused design agency. Also the way that we, we you know, framework or, or process we know how things work, so that's why we we you know set things into framework. So it's easier for like you know founders to come in and say like, hey, I want this, and then we'll just you know design for them. So and for us is it was ne- never about like you know creating something all beautiful and like uh, nice and, and and pretty. It was always about like getting results for our clients and, and founders. That was sort of like a, I think the differentiator and the big factor for it in in our growth. I mean, a lot of people say they want something different, but when you actually show them something different and it's very hard for them to to sort of wrap their head around, like you might say, hey, this design doesn't look as good, but it converts better. Did you find sometimes it was hard to convince people of of the value of of the data and the metrics and the analytics and um, your approach? Or how did you educate your prospects or clients about your methodology when it was a bit different than what they might have been doing previously? Yeah, so we always back our justification with, with data. So we would like do our research and then say like, Hey, 20 of your user has said that. So it's not just us telling you like it's not working. So that's how we always like sort of like show our design and show concepts. And because of this sort of like very data driven process, that's sort of like a, yeah, the angle that we have with, with our clients. And I think that's really, uh, like stand out from like different other agencies out there in Australia, as I know. And was that market research, again, was that just sort of user testing? Like, you know, you just look at the page and the conversions or, or would you actually sort of do focus groups and, and more sort of intense sort of research and user study to see what people are doing? We actually have like a internal sort of process to gather data. So we gather data from like, you know, user interviews, so like more qualitative sort of understanding more the feelings and emotion from from the user, but also actually gathering quantitative data from you know websites that you know heat maps and stuff like that so we always gather both into sort of like determine what's the best option for us uh, that's how we sort of like show the clients uh, all the different issues that they have and what's the best option moving forward 
And yeah, it's exciting to double in a year and, and grow and, and become a seven-figure business, but it's also stressful, I imagine, managing that growth. What were some of the, the biggest challenges managing that success and those good-to-have growing pains? Yeah, definitely. Like, uh, it's always obviously fun to to see like the business growth, but I guess like uh, for me, is uh, it's making sure that uh, the growth is is healthy. And for us, it's like you know, the more people, it's obviously the 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 harder to to manage, and that's where the struggle is. So we try to like obviously have better structure in in place. But growing initially with the agency was like with a small team of like, you know, five, six people, it was easy to manage. But as you grow to like, you know, 12 and, and more, really start to like really hurts when things that don't, don't work. So you need to have like a yeah, better structure and that's really important. And so that mean like the transition from everyone reporting to you to having someone else where not everyone reports to you, what, what were some of those challenges with the people management as you grew and, and how did you overcome them? Yeah, it's it was really hard to find the, the talent to sort of like be able to, because obviously the, the biggest part, the biggest struggle is for me to start, you know, obviously delegating to people and like, I wish, you know, there will be sort of like me a thousand times and, <laughs> but obviously it's not possible. So finding the right, you know, person to, to delegate things, but also knowing what to delegate. That's also like the, the big factor in terms of like, how we can we can scale and it's a it's a lot of learning definitely and now i'm still learning things of like how we should construct the business a bit better to make sure we we have a good profit and i mean in the early days did you try and delegate the design and the uh, ui ux and the product deliverables so that you could focus on the the client facing sales and account management or how did you decide what to delegate and what to add your sort of unique sort of skills to yeah, yeah. So I was definitely more focused in the the strategy and like the the client relationship. The team that I have was more focused on the execution and like how to the design aspects. I think the the problems was more on like how to manage uh, the team as uh, as we grew and what was the best structure to manage that. And was that in terms of like deadlines and deliverables or just workflow? Where did you start to see the cracks as you grew so quickly? It's more about, yeah, definitely like a process. So knowing like what project, the deliverables and like knowing who is doing what and resource management is like a, a big thing. Like we're still sort of like also like trying things as well and understand sort of like the, so the way that we did things initially was sort of like, you know, as we go and obviously I knew everything. So I could tell like everyone, hey, you do this, you do that. But, you know, as I'm less in the tool, we need to have like a process of like saying, hey, to do this, you need to follow this sort of step-by-step -step kind of thing. So have that written down is also like a, a big task to uh, structure the business uh, for scale. Yeah, and I know on your website, you've got a very methodical process of how you approach a client engagement, how you start it, how you sort of manage it. You've mentioned the research and the, the need for, for structure. Did you find sometimes team members resist that because they don't like maybe being as structured in and when they've got you know very specific client deadlines and projects and steps or did you find people responded well to being given a more of a step one two three four five of the process they still they're still creative and they're still looking at interesting things it's not a, a production line but that did people like that extra layer of structure or did they sort of resent it a little bit no definitely like uh actually they they need that 
Otherwise, it's just like, oh, what should I do? <laughs> People, yeah, sort of need that sort of process. That it's just like an outline of like you know things that you need to do. Obviously, it's still very creative, and like you need to sort of find things on your own and like be creative and create concepts and stuff like that. So, but it, we always have like a sort of outline of like all the things that need, needs to be done. And did that help you keep on top? Oh, this project, this client is at stage two. This one's at stage five. This one's about to start stage one. So you're better able to, you know, manage where everything was up to. Yeah. So the other thing that we we did as well is to try you know, productize our, our offering. So before all the project were were kind of different. Every client had had different needs, so we try to like all cater for for each of them. But it was hard to sort of like, and designer were like, oh, so what what's this project is like, you know, every time it's different. So what do we do? So we try to like, yeah, productize things now to sort of like, hey, you want a branding piece? Then this is the pack. And it's just easier to manage for us in the team. Did that change the direction at all of your focus? Like which offerings you were sort of selling the most of or is, have you really stayed to, to specialize in what you, you started with or how has it sort of diversified over time? Yeah, we, we try to actually diversify to, you know, even like sort of start doing development and stuff like that with clients. But we decided like actually like it's it's just not the our expertise. So I feel like we want to keep the focus to what we're good at, which is like, you know, creating brands and digital product that, that converts and that's sort of like our, our tagline. So yeah, development is, it's a completely different, different job. <laughs> we tried that, it didn't go well. And we decided to like, you know, focus back on like what we, what we good. So focusing on the design. And so it sometimes feels like the industry sways between sort of specialists like you, that you're a deep specialist, you're an expert in like a full service model where they want a bigger company who can kind of do everything. There's one relationship and it's a different person doing the development, but in theory, if they're in the same team or company or side by side, you're not sort of managing that. Have you seen some clients, you know, they want more of the full service or do you see the trend away from sort of full service, everything under one roof to more, no, we want the best UI, UX, we want the best dev, we want the best, you know, other performance marketers or whoever after that in the process yeah i guess it really depends with the the person that we talk to and how driven they are to get the best result if it's more like oh we want that just a, a one fits all kind of like a you know agency then then they can go to like you know like a full service sort of like a design agency but for us it's like yeah we we want the best outcome for you so you come to us if you yeah need specialists and experts in that area I get this discussion with like yeah, clients that sort of like, hey, we don't know if you want a, a, a sort of full service agency or go with different things. They see the pros and cons and sometimes they're like, oh, I really like the fact that you guys just focus on that. So it means that you, you're good at it, right? So you don't try to do everything. And is there ever a conflict though where you're working with, again, even if you're only doing your part, I imagine you're collaborating with other agencies whether it's a creative a dev agency is there ever sort of friction with your recommendations or are people usually fairly good at respecting what their area is and what your area is no i feel like they do sort of like hey if we you know working with an expert in this field like we will follow what they say um it's pretty much like yeah if you you know work with a builder and they say like, oh we should you should like sort of remove that that wall then you'll follow the instruction and it's not saying like hey no actually i don't want to do that 
I feel like yeah, that people come to us, they they tend to like you know follow the the our recommendations. Yeah, and so you've been a contractor, you've run startups over in France and worked in Europe, and then now in Australia. What are some of the sort of similarities and differences from a business point of view operating across those two different markets? Hmm, that's a good question. I still have the, I guess my my feelings and stuff from, from like when I was in France like eight years ago. I'm not too sure right now like if it has changed, but the biggest sort of like struggle in France was it was really hard to raise capital and compared to like, you know, an other market like the US where you can just like, you know, pitch deck and then you can get like two millions in, in the bank. In France, you needed like, a, you know, to have revenues, you needed to have like certain this, this, this. Uh, so it was much harder to to raise capital, and that was that's why like you know innovation was like slower. So I felt like uh, in Australia it was sort of more to like towards like a like similar to US, but yeah, that was sort of like the the biggest sort of difference difference that I felt when in France. That's also one of the reasons I wanted to move to a different country. I mean, sometimes in France, it has a reputation of very large companies, big government, big multinationals. A lot of people want to work for, for very big companies. Like, did you find a lot of your friends or, or people, the startup that sort of seen in France, there were a lot of young people wanting to work in smaller businesses or did a lot of people want to work for the household name sort of brands or very large and, you know, long running sort of companies there? It has shifted like quite a bit. Like when I was in like eight years ago, like uh, I was probably like the only one wanting to work for startups. But now I feel like, you know, a lot of my friends are looking out elsewhere and happy to, you know, go into uh, startups and work there. I don't think there's uh, anything, you know, there's probably more money to make in the startup and tech, tech space than sort of government and, and stuff like that. So yeah, definitely uh, that's the shift. And what about sort of in Australia, have you tried raising capital or is it just you see your clients are better capitalized and better able to sort of grow and keep scaling compared to like clients or, or other sort of startups you'd see in, in France? Yeah, I'm I'm not too sure around this because, well, I haven't really like uh, tried to raise money in Australia yet. And I feel like right now it's pretty tough. So I wouldn't try <laughs> right now. I remember in France, it was pretty hard. So again, looking across the different global markets and what's going on in different areas, what trends do you see in Australian entrepreneurship? You know, what are Australian entrepreneurs doing really well? And then where are there areas for improvement, you think, or, or future potential and growth within the Australian sort of startup entrepreneurial scene? Yeah, there's a shift in the tech space, definitely in terms of like being more sort of revenue focused rather than just like growth and like just try to grow and like, you know, burn cash. So. Yeah, I've, I've spoken to a lot of like, you know, entrepreneurs and founders and obviously now it's like really hard to raise, you know, capital for, for your startups. And there's, I know a few startups that's sort of like, you know, shrinking or like completely you know, go, go, gone over. Uh, no, Milk Run, for example, that's like an example, but I have a few of our clients that sort of like shrink down and sort of like, oh, they didn't, couldn't raise money or couldn't do that. So it's quite tough right now. And I guess like before you know, 10 years ago, eight years ago, it was like, oh, once you raise capital, that was like, okay, milestone done. Like, uh, this is win already. But the actual real win is when you actually create a business that's uh, more sort of like uh, profitable and like uh, sustainable, right? So now it's really about like uh, how to create a more sustainable business and 
that's like actually profitable and not just living on like a, you know raising capital uh, and stuff like that. So I feel like it's it's definitely harder, and you need to be more conscious about like uh, what you do with your product. And, and so, do you see that as a good thing potentially that it creates more discipline, more focus, a more commercial mindset? Like whereas you said, some businesses were you know, unsustainable and a lot of people like Milk Run, you know, are very critical that, you know, you can't, it's not scalable, it's not profitable, the unit economics are terrible. It, it's not a, a real market that people want post-COVID of, you know, very instant delivery. So does it create sort of more discipline or does it, you know, sort of hold back innovation that takes longer to commercialize? No, I think you need some discipline to to create a, a sustainable business. You, you need to know like, you know, your accounts and your numbers, I feel like, and Maybe before it was just about like you know, your the the idea and like uh, less about the actual like you know execution on it. So yeah, I feel like this is this is good in a way to you know teach a entrepreneur like how to to create like sustainable business. And are there any other trends that you see again having a close eye on the market, working with a lot of startups and scale ups? I'm sure talking to a lot of other founders and, and CEOs. What else do you sort of see people thinking about or talking about sort of in your space? Well. Now people only talk about AI and they, they want to do AI for everything. And <laughs> just like sometimes laughing, uh, I was just like, no, nah, it's, it's not because like everyone's doing AI that you need to do AI and stuff. So yeah, I think like I've talked to a lot of like, you know, business owners and that want to do it. And then sometimes they're just like, oh, I want to create this uh, chat box with AI. So I didn't have no idea how it works. Yeah. You need to learn the tech before sort of like uh, wanting to do things. And I feel like, yeah, that's a, uh, I think the AI space is still very sort of like a confusing for people and there's a lot of mystery in it. Has it changed how you do any part of your business? Are there things where you've sort of used AI to automate something? Are there things you're experimenting with to see if there's a way you could sort of build it into your business? Definitely like in terms of like, you know, writing copywriting and like uh, writing copy and just, uh, or, or even like, you know, coding and stuff. I think it's definitely improved a lot of like how productive we are so we are more efficient i'm still like keen to see how we use sort of like the imaging and creating like sort of like images i think that's like already like in a good point where we can create like images from from scratch it's pretty good to actually like completely remove our jobs that's just not there yet and we still need to to have our creative minds to to go through the process but it will help us definitely uh, in the future. Does it change at all how you think about structuring your team or skills that you're looking for? Like you said, someone who can use it to get the first 80% and then add the human sort of editing expertise over the top? Or, or has it not yet had that level of impact where you think about the talent that you're bringing to the business or the skills that are most important? Yeah, I guess like I still feel like we, we need people to achieve things and to execute. I guess like as a business owner now, it's more like, oh, we might need less people to do the job. And that's probably like the way um, I'm thinking, but we still need people. I still need people to do some marketing stuff and, and nothing's going to be automatic uh, and uh, I can't trust this uh, enough <laughs> to, to do that. Yeah, it, it sort of enhances, you know, like all technology, it sort of leverages and enhances what people can do, but, but it definitely doesn't sort of replace them. 
And so if you were talking to someone who's 18 to 20 years old right now, you know, maybe again, they finished high school, they finished university and they're interested in startups and tech and things like that, but they're not sure, do they go to a tech, a big tech, you know, a startup, a agency, freelance, start their own thing? What advice or, or thoughts would you sort of want to give that person? Is it a person in the, the creative space or just a... Well, we can do anyone? both. Maybe someone who's a bit creative and then someone who's very yeah, more tech <laughs> sort of focused. Would your advice differ or how would you sort of think about, you know, guiding someone like that? Right. I mean, in general, I feel like um, if, like, you know, I was talking to myself, I would say, like, oh, read more, definitely. I never read never read when I was young. So now I, I sort of like, feel like I'm catching up. But but in the same time, like, not uh, not everything is in in books. So connecting with people and actually like learning from others, that's also a big thing that I'm learning right now. And, you know, networking or like just just go to like events. Uh, and I think this is a big thing. I was really shy when I was uh, young and used to never sort of like uh, be able to like talk to, to a stranger like really, you know, very easily. Yeah, I've sort of worked my way to now sort of like uh, push myself to be that way now. That way, I actually like you know, learn a lot from just others that has similar issues or like been in the space, and it's just like a, so much more value than you know reading a book, and you get to connect socially as well. Yeah, that's a I think a, my advice for anyone in in the sort of like a eighteen to twenty. I guess if you are in your the creative space and you're thinking about oh between agencies or like big startups you need to understand sort of like where, how, how fast you want to grow. And I feel like agency really kickstart your, your growth because you get to work with so many different projects and you can sort of specialize yourself uh, later in, in, in the startup space and learn more sort of like a, a bit more rather than just, you know, working two months on the project, you get to work on like, you know, on it for like two years. That's sort of like a more detailed and like a more fleshed out really the experience uh, from start to set. And so was there a moment where you realized, like you're saying a bit shy and introverted, was there a moment where you realized that was sort of holding you back or that you really needed to sort of connect with more people? Like was it when you moved to Australia or was it when you were sort of starting your business and trying to hire people or or manage people? Interestingly, like when I came to Australia, I I felt like I was someone different and maybe it's the the language, but also maybe the, the fact that no one knew who I was. I could be anyone. So I came to Australia and I was really like started talking very, very friendly as well. Very, very different, like completely opposite to, to who I was in, in France. You know, back then I, I couldn't even look at someone in the eyes and like talk to him. <laughs> so like, you know, coming here, uh, I think like maybe inside I, I wanted a change and I wanted to push myself. And the fact that I'm in a different country and nobody knew who I was, I could be anyone so i could create my own persona and sort of like uh you know go with it yeah so, so it gave you a sort of clean slate from the expectations of the people around you and allowed you to sort of evolve versus if someone's known you for five or ten years and always known that you're very shy it's hard to yeah. not become the shy person forever mm, exactly yeah what would you say maybe someone who is again a bit more introverted a bit more shy a bit nervous about going out to an event where they don't know anyone maybe a tech meetup or a hackathon is there any advice or things that you would say that sort of helped you when you were going through that process i'm not sure if i would recommend my 
technique because my technique is just pretty much like oh just go out there and like uh, push yourself i i push myself a lot and surprisingly like you know i i do things uh just really to put me in a in a really tough spot and i just need to find my way for example i, I started doing like uh, design meetups and you know starting doing public speaking all this stuff and never done this and running like design meetups and really pushing out there it was sort of my way to say oh it's one way for me to really be more confident in public speaking. So, but I don't recommend that to anyone. So I would say like, this is my way of dealing with things. I probably need to find your own way of like how you can overcome your difficulties. Yeah. And, and I think that's really impactful advice. And what does the next five to 10 years look like for Raw Studio? Do you have a sort of medium to long-term vision of, of where you want to take it? Definitely, like we we have a, a big vision. We want to obviously shape and, and lead the design, the digital experience, like a uh, space in, and uh, in Australia or like you know globally. So we've been sort of like yeah, always wanting to to share, to give back as well. So that's why we all do all these like design community like meetups, uh, networking to help like uh, you know other designers as well uh, learn. So that's sort of like the the big thing for me and. This community thing is more like a passion thing for me, but my goal was always to sort of like uh, show out there like what well, well, we were capable in Australia and like uh, to the world and, and, and et cetera. Yeah, so to really be a market leader, a global leader by bringing the best minds together and the most innovative sort of ideas. Um, and, and so circling back to your points about sort of AI, how do you see the role of UI, UX in designing, you know, a more accessible interface? Because part of like a, a chat GPT is that, you know, it's a lot easier than historically, you, you know, you can type in a prompt or someone can type in a prompt that generates like Python code, right? So it makes the user interface to, to code easier or, or they, again, if you can type in something, it generates an image, it, it makes the user interface for, you know, like a Canva easier in a sense, because you don't need as much knowledge. What do you think AI platforms and, and the UI UX of those platforms will sort of evolve towards? Or what, what are you sort of your thoughts as a design minded person and looking at them? Yeah, it will definitely be easier moving forward. It's not really about like the tool is is how you use the tool, right? So you can be the best tool ever, but if you don't know how to use it, then there's no points. So I still feel like, and people like they won't they won't like want to do it. They probably don't have time to to actually do it. I feel like we maybe it will evolve to a way where it's gonna be like rather than you know two three months to design something, it will be like two weeks and it will be super fast. But in the same way, like oh, how how fast can we be? <laughs> if we design something in two weeks and then uh, build something like in, in three months, like how fast are things gonna gonna go? And is is it gonna be too quick for us? Like similar to how AI is evolving right now, because I can't even catch up about all the, all the new techs coming out and how people are gonna catch up with all the new new tech as well. So yeah, very interesting space right now. Yeah, I imagine some people would say that the the best design is where it doesn't feel like anything new. So if Google, for example, just adopts it in, so when you do a Google image search for a design, it again generates it. Like the user almost doesn't know the difference. Am I Googling a design or has it been a, a custom generated design? They don't really care if they're looking for something or an answer. How do I do this or what's this? And they just it comes up, but the behind the the back end has changed. But in their experience, the design might not actually change. Mm. But that's also like very. I would say like uh, terrifying in terms of like, you know, what 
So what is creativity like moving forward? Like, is it going back to like a drawing with your pencil? And how do you actually show to everyone that this is actually your drawing? Because it can be generated by AI as well. So like, I feel like this needs to be really thought through and we need some, you know, legislation around this. Because right now, like, you know, everything is like, I saw this, you know, article about this uh, photographer winning like a uh, an art piece and a photography contest and it was just an, an AI piece and I was like you know that's going to be like a, a big 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 uh, problem moving forward and and we're keen to see how people want to want to solve that yeah or just like if someone used a, a song you know generated randomly exactly. with notes and then they take credit sort of at what point are they responsible for the song or who gets the credit for the song who owns the copyright of the song it's um yeah ever-evolving space mm, definitely and um do you have any final thoughts or words you'd like to leave the audience with final thoughts i guess like you know running business is obviously hard <laughs> it's not for everyone <laughs> uh you got to prepare your mind for it but it's a uh, if like you know the journey is worth it it's it's definitely like a very interesting and active journey a lot of learning you can come out of it like you know I would say like I, I grew myself more than the last 10 years. Oh, yeah. Like I've learned so much in just that little amount of time. And you have to because uh, you're, you you have people that, you know, now uh, look up and, and need you and you need to pay them. <laughs> so so that's why like, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting journey, but it's not very easy to pursue. Excellent. Thanks so much, Philip. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Future of Australia podcast. If you liked the episode, please subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. To learn more about the Future of Australia project, check out futureofaustralia.com. To reach out to Derek directly, you can email derek at futureofaustralia.com. That's D-E-R-E-K at futureofaustralia.com.